events are taking place in Europe that the Bible spoke of, and therefore many Bible students have expected and looked for, for over hundreds of years. Even on this program, we have often spoken of the time when Russia would begin to build up its empire. Welcome to another edition of the Bible in the News. This is John Billington with you. In fact, if you go on on the website, bibleinthenews.com, into the archive section, this very second podcast we ever produced was on January 2006 by Paul Billington and was entitled, Russia Will Overpower Europe, Says Prophecy. And here we are. Just like that, the things that we have read of, written of, and spoken of are happening right before our very eyes. This expectation is, of course, now coming to pass because it was based on the Bible, specifically the prophecies of of Daniel and Ezekiel 38. Maybe it's worth going there uh, to start with. So let's go to Daniel chapter 2 and start there. It's a well-known chapter for people that have uh, looked at prophecies before. It is a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has of a great image, and it has in it the different metals. Uh, he, the, the gold is, is the head, and that is representative of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Daniel tells him that at the end of verse 38, you are the head of gold. And it goes through the different metals, which are different nations over different time periods, and it, and it's uh, there, um, however, standing complete when Nebuchadnezzar sees it. He doesn't see it as if it's a timeline lying down, so as you know, the image is standing up, and it stands before him. And the image, when it stands up, is the kingdoms of men complete, with all the parts represented. It might sound strange, but it's in God's eyes, obviously. The kingdom of men, as as God sees it, has different elements to it. It has the Roman elements in it. It has Greek elements in it. It has Babylonian elements in it, etc. And it stands there before Nebuchadnezzar. And the form of it, we're told in verse 31, uh, this image was the great image whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. And when it's destroyed, there's a the stones cut out of the mountain without hands, verse 34. Verse 35, then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And it smote the image, uh, the stone smote the image, and it became a great mountain and filled the earth. We understand what that means because the interpretation is given to us in verse 44. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and it shall break in pieces and consume these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So the kingdom of God replaces the kingdoms of men. um, It is the first vision that we get in Daniel, and from here the visions build on this picture. But this picture stretches all the way, gives you, you an overview of history, all the way from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold, all the way down to the time when the Lord God would set up the kingdom which would not be destroyed, verse 44. But it's interesting, in the legs section where that are um, the fourth kingdom, verse 40, 
shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things, uh, and as the iron breaks in pieces all these, it shall break in pieces and bruise. It was the Roman time period, and the Roman Empire was incredibly strong. When we come forward, there's still iron elements left in the feet, and there's also clay elements, and the clay and the iron come together, uh, and so it is an empire that is um, still got that iron element in it, but also has a mix, a mix with clay, which, as you look in Isaiah 45 and verse 9, is the people. And so you get the power of the people there uh, also mixed in, which is uh, another uh, study in itself. But we're just pointing out one thing, and that is you get the two legs, and it's the Roman time period. The empire is divided into east and west. And those legs is something that we have looked for, for the Roman Empire to stand again um, with its Babylonian head. There's much that goes into this uh, as we see the kingdoms of men stand in its final uh, show of strength, it will have its Babylonian head, it will have its Roman legs, uh, east and west. Western Rome was Rome itself, eastern Rome was Constantinople. And so that empire under Justinian had both, uh, you could say, both its legs, um, but it has not been that way for a long time. The power was transferred from Rome, Rome to Constantinople, and then uh, the, th- the third Rome, it's called, is, is Moscow, and the power was um, transferred to, to Russia. But also, uh, Rome itself, the, in the, the Vatican, also styled itself after the Roman Empire and had claims of its own to continue on that power. But typically, you would see the Roman power transferred to um, Russia, as fairly obvious, in that they call them they they had called the leaders, uh, the kings there, the czars, obviously taken from the Caesar. But when we come forward, then I don't know if that's uh, hopefully that's helpful. When we come forward to chapter eight, it focuses primarily on the we could say the eastern. Uh, section, uh, the eastern side of the Roman Empire. When we come uh, through this vision, there's it's an absolutely beautiful chapter, but uh, with the vision of the 2300 years, uh, when the sanctuary would be cleansed, very interesting uh, time period, pointing forward to the time when the temple would be cleansed and back in Jewish hands. But again, it's a prophecy that spans a great period of time. But in the end, much like in Daniel chapter 2, it would come to the latter days when God's kingdom would be set up. Here it it, it comes to the time of the latter days, verse 23. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full... A king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully and prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Or your margin, um, 
your margin has there, the people of the saints. And through his policy also shall he cause craft or deceit to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall he destroy many, and he shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Notice he ends up standing up against the prince of princes, which is the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's broken without hand. That is like the stone that's cut out of the mountain without hands. So we have this same ending. The prophecy of Daniel is beautiful in that it gives you pictures of similar events uh, and of um, time periods, but from different angles. And here we're getting a vision uh, looking primarily in the east. We can see that it's dealing with the east and with the Greeks and the Medes and Persians from verse 20 and 21. But in the latter time of the kingdom, you have this king of fierce countenance that stands up. This connects also with chapter 11. And maybe we could just notice there because time won't allow us to, to come back here. It is a king of fierce countenance that stands up. He destroys wonderfully, it says, and shall prosper. And the RV says, do his pleasure and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. He causes craft or deceit to prosper and he magnifies himself and ultimately stands up against the prince of princes. What an incredible list that is of characteristics of pride, magnifying himself, of deceit, and of destruction. And that is what we get in this, uh, from this prophecy. Now, when we come to chapter 11, we again have a time at the time of the end, and it says in verse 35, this is a, this is a prophecy of the king of the north and the king of the south, and they fight between themselves back and forth. And uh, it is a continual fight between them as they would come through the Holy Land back in the times of the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Seleucids were in the north, Ptolemies in the south. But verse 35, at the time of the end, it says, And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end. So the vision jumps to the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. And the king shall do according to his will. Now this links you again to chapter 8, where we talked about the king of fierce countenance, who exalts himself, there it is again, and magnifies himself, uh, sorry, and he does according to his own will. Again, see, he's, um, what did it say in chapter 8? It shall. He says he would do his pleasure. Here it says he will do his will, and he shall exalt himself, magnify himself above every god, and speak marvelous things against the god of gods, till uh, and prosper until the indignation be accomplished, and that which shall be determined is done. Neither shall he regard the god of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, and he shall magnify himself above all. So we're picking out those characteristics again, that he exalts himself, does his own will, he will ultimately come against the Holy Land as well. So when we come down, it is in verse 40, And at the time of the end shall the king of the south contend with him, push at him, um, 
and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and many ships, and shall enter into the countries. It's a full-scale invasion. And he shall overflow and pass through. This is incredible. This gives you the picture of how this, in the latter days, this king would overflow. And that's exactly what we see here with uh, in, in, in that chapter at the end there in verse 40. Now it carries on. He, moves, he goes down into the Holy Land and he goes and makes his way down into Egypt. And verse 45, he shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him because there is a stone that's cut out of the mountain without hands. So hopefully you can see um, we've done a quick, very quick overview and put a few of those pieces together. There are previous Bible magazines that you can go to that would give you much more explanation of these. And you'll find those in the archives on the Bible magazine website, biblemagazine.com. Many of the Bible magazines are there and are available to, to look at. And you'll see many, a number on Russia and on the prophecy of Daniel. So when we now just step back, and although it's very fast, maybe we'll just quickly go to, because it connects very well to this, Ezekiel chapter 38, just to mention it. Remember we said Daniel 11, king of the north, king of the south. The king of the north is the king of the fear of fierce countenance. He does according to his will. He is proud. When we come to Ezekiel 38, we have a northern confederacy and a southern confederacy. And it comes, verse. Uh, it's in the latter days, verse 8. It comes against the holy land, the, the mountains of Israel, verse 8. And it comes out of the uttermost parts of the north, verse 15, in the RV. So it's the northern invader that's going to come against Israel. Son of man, verse 1, or verse 2, sorry, Son of man, set thy face against Gog of the land of Magog. And that word Gog there is, uh, can be translated uh, as the proud one. And that's, you know, high and mighty. And that is exactly, uh, links in directly with what we saw in Daniel. So it's this proud one of the land of Magog. The, the RV has the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. And that word Rosh there is, uh, connects with Russia. And people have doubted that over many years. And to me, it's, uh, it's, it's not, it is um, certainly, if, you know, when you, when you look into it, I don't think there's much doubt in it at all. And we'll quote um, a, a commentary here from the 1700s that frankly had this perfect. Because if you look in the Septuagint, uh, the word Rosh is, is a name that we're not familiar with now, but was, and the Septuagint in Greek translates it to a word that is still in use today uh, for the Rus, the people of the Rus. So it is, you know, these prophecies that give us the evidence to see Russia as the king of the north primarily, and the leader of Russia as Gog here, the proud one, or the king uh, in Daniel 11, or the king of fierce countenance in Daniel chapter 
8. So, we said that in 2006, we did a Bible in the News, um, and it was entitled, Russia Will Overpower Europe, Says Prophecy. But long before 2006, Bible students were expecting the same thing, based on these prophecies primarily, and although there are others. Loth's Commentary, printed in 1739, so that's over 280 years ago, identifies Russia as the head of the Northern Confederacy in the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 that we have before us. This is what it says. The Septuagint interprets the word Rosh, commonly translated chief, for a proper name. So they render the sentence thus, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Rosh, taken as a proper name, signifies those inhabitants of Scythia, from whence the Russians derive their name and original. This is um, quite amazing, really, because the inhabitants of Scythia came from north of the Black Sea. That is directly the area that is uh, in great conflict currently now. So, we can go back to the 1700s, and there it was expected that the Russians would be the Rosh here, of Ezekiel 38. That's quite incredible because that connects you with a number of the other prophecies. And it was expected and looked for exactly the same way by John Thomas in 1854. And he had a book he uh, wrote called Anatolia, also known by the name of um, the Exposition of Daniel. And the title page says this, Russia triumphant and Europe chained, being an exposition of Daniel showing the inevitable fall of the French and Ottoman empires, the formation of a Russian-Latino-Greek confederacy, its occupation of Jerusalem and its holy shrines, and subsequent destruction on the mountains of Israel. Absolutely amazing, because when we look at that, you know, the inevitable fall, an inevitable fall of the French and Ottoman empires, French empire under Napoleon, which is what it, uh, or, you know, as it was previous to this, I guess 1854, previous to, but that empire that we know as, uh, that, that um, Napoleon uh, was uh, in control of, is long gone. The Ottoman Empire, long gone. There's still the remnants uh, of, uh, in Turkey, and even that itself will dry up in time. But the empires, the French and Ottoman empires, are gone. The formation of a Russian-Latino-Greek confederacy, that is exactly what we're looking for, and that is the Russian-Latino-Greek confederacy is exactly what we have in this northern confederacy in Ezekiel chapter 38. So, inside that book, he writes the following. By turning to a map of Europe and Asia, the reader may trace out the territory of the kingdom of Babylon as it is destined to exist in its last form under the king of the north in his Gogian manifestation. So, in 1854, he's putting these same verses together. The names of countries furnished by Ezekiel will lead him to a just conception of its general extent. Besides all the rushes. Now, that's amazing, because he points out it's all the rushes, which is exactly what Putin is, if you look at the article he wrote last year, he sees that the Rus peoples from Belarus from Ukraine and from Russia itself, 
are all one people. But uh, And here it says all the Russias. It, and if you look at his article that he wrote, he points out there is these different uh, people of the Rus. And uh, it's amazing because it's uh, that's exactly what we have here in the prophecy. Besides all the Russias, it will take in Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Holland, Belgium, France, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Switzerland, Germany, Prussia, Austria, Turkey, Persia, Tartary, Greece, the Roman Africa, and Egypt. This will be a dominion of great magnitude, extending from the North Sea to the Wall of China and Afghanistan, and from the Ice Sea to the deserts of Africa and Arabia. What an incredible list of names, of uh, country names that is. But it gives you the full extent that John Thomas in 1854 expected this, um, this empire to control. That is incredible because many have expected Russia to flow west, and we'll get to that. In 1862, another writer, Robert Roberts, wrote in Christendom Astray. He says, The supremacy of Russia is foretold. She is to vanquish many countries and hold a protectorate over them. As indicated by the words, Be thou a guard unto them. Those countries include all the nations of the continent, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togarma, of the north quarters, will be found on reference to ancient geography to embrace nearly every country in Europe. See that he's, he's looking for, similar to John Thomas, he's looking for every country in Europe to be included in this empire. And in addition to these, there are Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them. And that's from here in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 5. And those nations that this all comes from is those first um, six verses, I believe. Six verses uh, in Ezekiel 38. Showing that at that time, he finishes here in Christendom Astray, Russia will have attained to something like universal dominion. Incredible. You know... Many people started to doubt over the years. Was it right? You had the Russian Revolution uh, uh, Revolution in 1917, and it seemed like you know it was it was all this this idea that was written about by John Thomas, Robert Roberts, and those was wrong. It, it had they had got it wrong, um, but then it turned into the Soviet Empire. But we don't have time to go into it. But the Soviet Empire didn't actually. Um, fulfill the prophecies because when we when you dig further into this it has to be a religious aspect to this it has to be uh it has to make a deal with the pope while under communism it was athe- it was atheistic it had it was uh it had no religion per se so many doubted these things but not everyone graham pierce in 1970, in 1970 uh, writes in Russia, the Vatican, and the invasion of Israel, and he comments on John, John Thomas's writing in Exposition of Daniel that we've read. He comments on that book, uh, and specifically the title page as we read it to you. He says, Thomas's description of this time of which we are now speaking is Russia triumphant and Europe in chains. So that's how John Thomas uh, looks at what it's going to be like in the empire at the time. 
And Graham Pierce in 1970 says, I, I, I quote, This is a true reflection on what the prophets say. Europe is to come under cruel bondage with freedom suppressed after the style of Czechoslovakia today. That's going back to 1970. We remember the parable of the latter-day king of Babylon of Isaiah 14. He smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He ruled the nations in anger. He made the world a wilderness and destroyed cities. He opened not the house of his prisoners. Habakkuk also in his second chapter sees this proud man gathering unto himself all the nations and heaping unto him all the people. So the lights of Europe are to go out. It is to be in chains. This may not take place immediately when Russia takes over Western Europe, but as the occupation proceeds, it is consolidated over some years. Then the chains will be found to be brutally there. That's what John. That's what uh, Graham Pierce wrote in 1970. One could maybe have said that it was fantasy at the height of the Cold War. However, it was in line with the expectation of those other writers that we had uh, that we read, John Thomas and Robert Roberts, and many others. But even after the Soviet Empire collapsed, it looked like Russia was done for. The classic picture of the Russian subs rusting in the harbor. But even in that time, in 1992, Paul Billington wrote the following, that Russia has for the moment been turned back, which is taking that from Ezekiel 38, where there is a turning back, that Russia has for the moment been turned back should not delude us into thinking that the scriptures will not be fulfilled after all. We can be quite certain that she will yet be brought forth to establish her image empire, the aspect of which will be terrible exceedingly. And here we are, witnessing the revived and resurgent Russia, and certainly with a Christian element to it. It is not atheistic anymore. It is coming forth, which is exactly what we see in verse 4 there, the turning back and the coming forth. It was Putin himself that said in 2005, the demise of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the century. And it's now clear that he is bound and determined, bound and determined to fix that, to the point that he is threatening now nuclear war. Well, Graham Pierce writes further in 1970 of the alignment of the realignment, I should say, the realignment of the nations. And he writes, what, could we, what, could, uh, what we could reasonably then expect is a general, large-scale reorientation of strategic positions, Britain and the U.S. reestablishing themselves in the Near East. This would bring into being the two great power blocks as the King of the North and the King of the South. This would include cooperation with Israel and possibly an occupation of Egypt again. At this time, too, relations between Israel and the Arabs may be changing. I think that's absolutely incredible because he sees in 1970 that there's going to be a reorientation of the strategic positions um, into the king of the north, king of the south, but that at, when that's happening, when those events are happening, there's going to be a change 
happening at the same time between Israel and the Arabs. Well, if you want to nip back to Bible in the News last week, uh, that's what we looked at. So it is changing. The situation is close to miraculous that is developing between Israel and Bahrain and the UAE and potentially even uh, Saudi Arabia. Incredible. So I think it's especially powerful at this time to look at what those earlier writers uh, put down, what they expected. Because it's one thing to say, you know, this is what's going on in the world, but to see that all these writers looked for exactly what we are seeing today is incredible. And it confirms this is really truth. And based on solid reasoning of Bible prophecy, all these predictions are near perfect and, as we say, now visible. And that being the case, what then follows, we can also be sure of. Russia's further push west to ultimately subdue all of Western Europe. The taking of Istanbul, known as historically as Constantinople. We can expect an alliance with the Vatican and its following venture moving through Israel right down into Egypt. It's during these ventures that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Israel, happens. There's a lot to be done before the Lord Jesus Christ comes to save his people. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, at that time shall Michael stand up. There's a lot that's got to happen in there. Not time for that on Bible in the News right now. But suffice it to say, we will quote John Thomas again when he says, When Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, then let the reader know that the end of all things as at present constituted, is at hand. The long-expected but stealthy advent of the King of Israel will be on the eve of becoming a fact. The burning question we all have is, how long? Well, we wondered how long it was going to be until Russia would build up its image empire. Clearly that's begun now, whether it stalls out and he stops for a while, like he did after he took other parts of Ukraine uh, and into Georgia, there seemed to be, you know, years gap between. Is it possible? It's possible. I think at this point, unlikely, because the world is going to have such a pushback. I think it's likely he continues, but we can't be sure of that. So, you know, we wonder how long it will be until the empire's completed uh, and, and fully set up. Um, but how long until the return of Christ? We may not know the day, we may not know the hour, but having now witnessed these events in Russia, uh, and we could add to that other things as we've looked at on this program, Brexit and the things in Israel, but this one is, you know, is is especially, uh, you know, incredible. It is incredible to see. Uh, it's expected, but still incredible when we see it. But when we've se- when we see this now, we know we are in the era. It may not be this week this or this month, but it is a certainly a very significant mile marker on the way. Very, very significant. But the real question we need to ask, I think, is what are we doing with the time that we have left? For when Christ returns, we're told that he comes to judge the nations. But first, judgment, we're told, starts at the household. So may we take the days ahead to recommit ourselves to filling our minds with his word 
drawing our families, our congregations, or our ecclesias, as we call them uh, in the Christadelphians, around the Word, and reaching out to those around us, or to those that have fallen away. This is, you know, we have, we, there is some time left, uh, it would seem, yet. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, his last letter before his death, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. May we be one of those that loves his appearing. Join us again next week, if the Lord be willing, for another edition of the Bible in the News. <music>